Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? My name is Ken M. Joining me in the studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Coach Duffy is on assignment. Maybe he's on his way to Kansas City. We are not sure, but fear not. We are still going to be delivering you all the sports information you need to know about. Definitely joining the conversation on social media. You can find all the links on OchoDuroParlayHour.com. And remember, use the hashtag ODPH. Pad, kick it off this week. What do we got? Uh, well, probably we had a show planned out, and we had all our segments planned out, yep. what, we were, what we were going to talk about planned out. Yep. And then Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs decided to like upend the whole thing uh, by extending Patrick Mahomes to a 10-year contract that is worth, an es- what is it, estimated like 430 million, something absurd. It's been in range of four, like that 400 to, I've even seen 503 now. I, I think it can go up to 503 if he hits every incentive on it, which could happen, but yeah, yeah. who knows? But no, it, it, the contract, nevertheless, uh, I know it's it's bigger than Mike Trout's contract, which makes it the biggest uh, contract for an athlete in North American sports. Probably not the world, but eh, who knows? Uh, but nonetheless, it is the biggest contract. A uh, no, yeah, here it is. Uh, Adam Schefter says the deal is worth four hundred and fifty million dollars over the next ten year period and could be worth up to five hundred and three million dollars. Uh, the extension includes a hundred and forty million injury guarantee as well as a no trade clause. Uh, in the words of Danny McBride, "Dollar dollar bills, y'all." Wow. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Word is, uh, I've uh, rumor has it Patrick Mahomes has been seen at some uh, Brinks facilities looking at buying a Brinks truck because he's going to need a few. This contract is absolutely wild mm-hmm. to think about, but let's put it in context. So Patrick Mahomes led the Kansas City Chiefs to a Super Bowl win. Yep. Very dramatic fashion. One league MVP, one Super Bowl MVP. Also moved Whataburger to come into Kansas City. Yes. He has definitely been the face of the franchise over the past few years. And the I've, face of the Muppets. Yeah, you know, That is true. It's debatable. Yeah. Uh-huh. It is very much so. Yeah. I hope. But with everything he's done in Kansas City since he took the starting role from Alex Smith, I mean, he, he was mentored for a year, yeah. then really took the ball and ran with it and was putting up video game-like stats. And video game-like moves. Yeah. I mean, to see him play, he is definitely an exciting player to watch. Might, yeah. Might be one of the most exciting players in the NFL. Might be this generation's Michael Vick, in a way, where Michael Vick, you know, obviously with his legs, mm-hmm. was doing things on the football field that were considered video game-like. Yeah. You know, but Patrick Holmes, not his legs, more so his arms. Yeah, his arms and his passing, I mean, is just absolutely insane. Just mm-hmm. what he can pull off of the football. And to even see how he led Kansas City to the Super Bowl, too. I mean, take into context, started out very strong, got to the playoffs, yeah. had to face Houston, yeah. was down 28 to nothing at mm-hmm. one point, and scored 28 unanswered within the first half yeah. to bring him back, I yeah. believe. I mean, just what he's been able to do, and especially be the face of the franchise, be the catalyst for that offense mm-hmm. that is just putting up ridiculous amount of points each week. To be in the AFC West, let alone the AFC against him, is no easy task now. No. And to be signed for 10 years, which we have to remember, too, in football, that does mean a lot, and it doesn't mean a lot. Mm-hmm. 10 years does put it through because it's on top of 
uh, the remaining two years he has on his rookie deal right now. So they've got him locked up for the next 12. Yeah. So he's locked up through 2031, 2032, which, huh, side note, uh, he you know, the Kansas City Chiefs will be paying Patrick Mahomes from 2031 to 2032. The Mets will still be paying Bobby Bonilla. Thank you, Mets fans. Yes, we forgot to say last week it was uh, Bobby Bonilla Day, if uh-huh. you're a Mets fan, for the greatest contract in sports history. I don't know. The Ichiro one's pretty good. Side note, Ichiro's uh, got a similar contract, but it's got interest. Yes. But I digress. It's, it's debatable, but this contract, though, for Patrick Mahomes, Woo. I mean, when it was first announced, the deal had to get done. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't fault the Chiefs no. for making the deal. No. I, I really don't. But, and, and especially you, well, with all the accolades and all the talent and this and that, you knew it was – and I, I get the feeling that the Chiefs' ownership and everyone in the Chiefs' front office knew it was going to be a big deal. So it was one of those things, let's just rip the Band-Aid off now and get it over with rather than you know delay the inevitable. Yeah, absolutely, because as time would have gone on and you would figure that Patrick Mahomes is not looking to fall off by any stretch of no. the means, he's definitely going to be more consistent as he's going – He's still very young in his career. We have to remember that. Mm-hmm. Kansas City needed to make plans for the future. And with this contract, it is cap-friendly for the most part, but it's only going to give them so much, though, going down the road. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing we have to remember with this because yeah. the cap deal, I mean, to sign him for a 10-year deal for football, you don't hear that that often. Mm-hmm. That you only hear maybe five, six years, and I mean, team options and yeah. that whole nine. Well, I mean, and I'm looking at his contract on spotrack.com. The next couple of years aren't terrible because right. you look at his contract for this coming year base salary $825,000 with a $4.5 million signing bonus. Uh, you know, and then he's got a $5.3 million cap hit, you know, with a total cash of about just about $11 million. And it kind of stays that way for the next couple of years. You know, I would say the, the you know, 2020, uh, let's see, where is it? 2024, 2025, and 2026, uh, he has a base salary of about $2.5 million. Where it starts to get real interesting is t- uh, 2027, where he has a base contract of $10 million. Yeah. That is where it's going to really start picking up. So for right now, that window of opportunity mm-hmm. to be consistently in the Super Bowl, I mean, you have to be realistic about it. Kansas City is definitely built for a long haul right now, mm-hmm. a good five-year window, I would say, Yeah, that this is the time to strike for him. But after that, it's going to get very dicey, and, and you don't know how the team is going to be in that stage. And it's going to put him in a very you know New England Patriots with Tom Brady type mm-hmm. scenario where – you might need to replace some pieces because guys retire, guys get hurt, guys sign elsewhere. And, you know, looking at uh, the Chiefs' uh, salary cap, they don't got a lot of spending room. I, if, according to, again, Spotrack.com, uh, they've got the second to lowest amount of cap space available, only ahead of the New England Patriots. Uh, cor- apparently, the Kansas City Chiefs have about $3.5 million in cap space. That's not a lot of room. It's not a lot. And signing Mahomes for this deal is going to hurt them in that aspect. But then again, you sign a perennial MVP candidate yeah. long-term, yeah. which is smart for them. I mean, they had to sign him. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, like I say, I can't stress enough. I don't fault them for making the move. No. But now you've done a precedent for quarterbacks in the NFL. Also, which Dak Prescott is currently licking his chops down in Dallas. Dak Prescott, Deshaun Ooh. Watson in Ooh. Houston. I mean, that was one of the names that started floating around that immediately after his contract got signed, his teammates were already tweeting, well, what's he going to get in Houston? Oh, yeah. And now this is where you have to really be careful with your money if you're running a team in the NFL. Right. Take a look at how Russell Wilson got paid in uh-huh. Seattle and how that's 
been a hindrance for a certain degree yeah. about bringing free free agents to Seattle. Yeah. You almost have to wonder if your quarterback is looking for this kind of payday, what's that going to do for the rest of your team? Like I say, right now the contract is very well structured for the f- next couple of years. So Kansas City's window to strike is now. Mm-hmm. They're definitely going to be doing that. But once you get to the year where his salary goes up to $10 million, right? this is where you're really going to see the change in the team. And plus, they can also cancel the contract at any time. I mean, this is the NFL. They mm-hmm. can find ways to get out of contracts. It, it, the only thing that is guaranteed is the signing bonus. Right. So that being said, Kansas City has that window to strike now. Can they sign their team long term mm-hmm. and be consistent? Because, I mean, you have to figure eventually. Yeah. Time, Father Time catches up with teams. Oh, yeah. And oh, for yeah. Kansas City, too, if they're going to be consistently good, which, I mean, right now you have to say so looking at that team, mm-hmm. when does it fall off? And when is that going to really affect your cap? Because if Patrick Mahomes, let's say he starts tailing off. Just, sure. Just hypothetically. Sure. You're now stuck with that quarterback for that amount of money yeah. long term. Is that really going to help or hurt you? I mean, especially when you look at the, some of the last few years in this contract where, like I mentioned, thir- uh, when he's 31 years old, he's getting paid $10 million in his base salary. Uh, and then with everything else, uh, you know, so he gets $10 million base salary. He gets a roster bonus of four, uh, $49.4 million, a workout bonus of $550,000, and then a cap hit, so which is a total cap hit about uh, just about uh, $60 million. Uh, and then you, you, I mean, you look at the years afterwards. Thirty-two years old, his he'll be getting paid, uh, you know, a base salary of thirteen million dollars, and and after everything's said and done, a cap hit of a uh, yearly cash of forty-four point four million dollars. Mm. You know, you'll be paying a thirty-plus-year-old quarterback who, yeah, guys have played good at that age, but you've also had, I feel, more not play good at that age than you have played good. Are you going to be really comfortable? And this is the risk the Chiefs are taking. Are, if this contract, they see this contract all the way through, are you going to be comfortable willing to pay a 33, 34, 35 year old quarterback who may not be as good as he once was, you know, almost, you know, 45, 50 million dollars? That's going to be the problem they're going to have. Yeah. I mean, short term, it's not a problem. No. Short term, it's no. a smart move. No. But once you start getting in the back end, I mean, it's almost like a baseball contract yeah. to a degree. I yeah. Mean, it's it's a rod in the last few years of his contract where the production wasn't there, but. Nothing you could do about it. Right. And Kansas City could always make a move at that point. Right. But you have to wonder, would they want to really invest into a quarterback for long term unless he was going to be the real deal? Mahomes is. Mm-hmm. And then, like I say, I, I can't stress enough. The deal makes sense for Kansas City to do, especially coming off the Super Bowl. You never know what's going to happen with players. Oh, yeah. Are they going to be that motivated to come back? I mean, that's one thing with pro athletes. We don't know. No. Because once you get the taste of winning – Either they get motivated or they get very humbled. Yeah. And when they get humbled, they decide to start putting on the brakes a little bit. Mm-hmm. They're almost going through the motions. We've seen this happen oh, yeah. in a lot of teams. And once oh, they yeah. win, they think they can just flick it on like a switch and, and go pick up where they left off. Right. It doesn't happen. And especially with the NFL, too. We have to remember that they have one of the best, if not the best, salary cap in all sports. Mm-hmm. Every season, every team, for the most part, has the opportunity to really make themselves into contenders, whether it's yeah. the draft or whether it's the offseason moves. Yeah. Because with a hard cap that they have, they can definitely build on their rosters. And one thing with the NFL, too, it's almost a copycat league for a degree, that these teams really scout opponents very well that 
somebody could have an MVP type season one year mm-hmm. and be forgotten the next year because defensive coordinators and head coaches oh, yeah. start finding tendencies. I mean, this happens all through sports. The great players will be consistent throughout. Yeah. But to be consistently great and not have a drop off. Right. That's the true test. Right, and I do want to mention we did have Coach, uh, while he's not here, he did chime in on the Patrick Mahomes deal. Uh, he said, uh, quote, it's the worst thing that could have happened to Dak because if he is pushing to be the highest paid quarterback over a Super Bowl champ and arguably the best quarterback statistical and eyeball test wise, he's out of his goddamn mind, close quote. And fact, yeah, I, it's the worst thing for NFL franchises. Oh, yeah, and, and that's the thing. Don't get me wrong. Dak is at least at this point is a good, if not okay, quarterback. Is he on a you know Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Patrick Mahomes level? No, but he's good. You know, I hope he proves me wrong. I I never want to see a quarterback flounder in the NFL. I never mm-hmm. wish I never wish that on anybody. I want to see him succeed. I want to see him do well. I want to see him earn what they get. You know, and the same for Deshaun Watson. He's a good quarterback, but neither of those guys is worth what Patrick, uh, Patrick Mahomes is making. No, definitely not. I mean, that's the argument that you're going to have now for franchises because now your quarterbacks are seeing this and saying, well, what about me? Right. Well, take a look around the league. What the hell have you done for me lately? Exactly. You have to realize that certain teams are not going to be on that level mm-hmm. and certain players are not on that level. I'm sorry. There's only a few quarterbacks that are currently on that level with Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. You want to say Lamar Jackson from Baltimore? Yeah, he's up there. You can definitely put him up there. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, oh, yeah. you have to put up there. Drew Brees is declining. Let's yeah, face yeah. it, Father yeah. Time is catching up with him. Oh, yeah. Tom Brady, we don't know what we're going to get out of him yeah, in Tampa uh-huh. Bay. I don't want to bring up a sore subject. Oh, yeah, to you. yeah, you're right. But certain quarterbacks are going to be in that discussion. Is Deshaun Watson in that discussion? To be determined. Right. I mean, that's going to be the interesting thing with Houston. As, again, I look at Spotrack.com and their uh, team's salary cap tracker. Uh, They've got the teams listed from most cap space to least amount of cap space uh, of the teams we mentioned, Houston Texans. They are currently about middle of the pack. They're 14th with about $19.2 million in cap space. Uh, And then you look at the Dallas Cowboys, who are, you know, of course, got that ongoing issue with Dak Prescott. They're currently 24th in terms of cap space with $10.5 million in cap space. Yeah, it's the argument you have to have with this. You can't give everybody that kind of contract. No. For Dak Prescott, let's face it. If you threw any other quarterback behind that Dallas offensive line, would they be putting up similar numbers? Pretty damn close. Yeah. And Dak has done very well with that offense. I, you have to give him credit. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people don't like to do. Yeah, no, yeah. He's a good quarterback. He's a like, good quarterback. Good quarterback, don't get me wrong. He's had a pretty decent receiving core around him. He's had Ezekiel Elliott behind him, who's a very good running back. But most of the success of that offense is, is has to be put on the offensive line. Yeah. And you have to remember that to when you're signing players in the offseason, you have to make sure that line is intact. Because let's be honest, Jerry Jones is probably trying to recreate the teams from the 90s. Oh, absolutely. Well, it, a lot of pressure is going to be on him. But for Dak, let's face it, when was the last time Dallas was in the NFC championship game? Not, I'm not going to say playoffs. Championship game. Uh, Probably not since the 90s. I mean, it's not any recent memory. No, because the last, honestly, the last playoff trip I remember for them, and I, I'm sure there probably have been more, was the Tony Romo botched uh, field goal. Yeah. But, but, and that wasn't even the championship game. That was like either the divisional round or wild card. Or All right. Like, so, like, I can look it up, but it's probably not been since the 90s. All right. So, let me flip it too. Deshaun Watson. When was the last time he was in the AFC championship game? I don't think he has been. Exactly. So if you're going to start comparing yourself to a player that's gotten 
to the Super Bowl, let alone the uh, the AFC Championship game. I'm just using that as a benchmark. Mm-hmm. You you don't have an argument. I mean, I'm sure they're going to get paid very well. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm not, I'm not oh, questioning yeah. that. But if you think you're going to get a $500 million contract or more, right? I'm sorry. You're not going to. And I think that you have to get to a Super Bowl that, to have that discussion. Neither of those players have. As great as Lamar Jackson is, he hasn't gotten there yet. I'm not saying he's not going to get there, but as of right now, but when his it comes comes time to rework his deal, right? I mean, he's definitely going to be compensated very well. All right, uh, dug it up. Uh, just to interject quickly: the Dallas Cowboys have not been in the NFC Championship game since they beat the Packers in 1995 to go on to win the Super Bowl to win Super Bowl 30, which was 1995. Exactly. So there's no way you can give him that kind of money. You, no. you just can't. I mean, any quarterback that is not going to the Super Bowl year in and year out or get leading your team to a deep run. Uh-huh. I'm, like I say, I'm using the AFC or NFC Championship game as my benchmark for this argument. Uh-huh. Unless you're doing that consistently year in and year out, you're not talking that kind of money for a contract. I'm sorry. Right. I mean, let's just look at since uh, Dak's been in the league. Drafted in 2016, so 2016 lost in the divisional round to the Packers. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2017 didn't even make the playoffs. Uh, and then in 2018, won the wild card game against the Seattle Seahawks, but then lost in the divisional round to the Rams. And then in 2019, didn't even make the playoffs. So Dak hasn't even made it past the divisional round. Right. Like I say, it all falls back on what have you done. And if you haven't gotten your team to the championship game, not even saying the Super Bowl, I want to really stress that point. If you haven't even made that deep of a run in the playoffs, uh-huh. you can't ask for that kind of money. Because what is, this is telling me is, harping back to a point I was saying earlier, Defensive coordinators and head coaches apparently have figured out enough to shut you down when it counts most. Mm-hmm. And great players step up and to do it consistently and improve where they fell off, this is where these quarterbacks are leading their teams to the Super Bowl and right. the AFC-NFC championship game. If we haven't seen consistent growth, and you could say about, okay, difference in teams, yeah, you can argue about personnel issues. Sure. But if you're the face of the franchise and you're the one leading your offense – and defenses are figuring you out, and you're not being consistent in your play, you're not going to warrant that kind of deal. Mahomes has gotten better each year he's been in there. Uh I mean, let's face fact, too. He played on short notice with a very scary knee injury that he probably should have sat out longer with. Right. Let's not forget about that. He took a very big gamble, and it paid off for him. And teams have not figured out how to slow him down no. to the point where their Kansas City is going to be an afterthought. No, is it eventually going to happen? It happens. Probably. With every, it happens with everybody. Yeah, yeah. But for right now, Kansas City is in a great position. With oh it. yeah, no, Kansas City's. In, let's not get it twisted. It's a bonkers amount of money. Like, oh yeah. The amount of stuff you could buy with that amount of money they're giving Mahomes is long and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's understandable given this. You know, he's twenty four years old. Given the successes he's had. He's going to make it back to the Super Bowl. Might not be this year. Who knows? You right. Know, we, we, we don't know. We don't know. He's going to make it back to the Super Bowl. That's not That's not a question. That's that's a guarantee. Yeah. They've got multiple championships in their future. You know, so that's not a question. It's just the, the interesting thing is going to be, what can they do with that team given the amount of money you're paying to this guy? Because I know at one point it was rumored that his contract was going to be a percentage of the salary cap. And that if, as the salary cap went up, so would his dollar amount. You know, and that ended up not being true. But it's still a, a bonkers amount of money. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy amount of money that has ultimately two ways about going. It can either cripple your franchise 
or it can be working in its favor mm-hmm. and take advantage of the time you're in now, which I think this contract is. Like I say, I, I, oh yeah, the length of it and where it's structured is going to be very back-end heavy. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing you have to really worry about with your team. But yeah. if you're in a position to win now, and they are. I mean, oh, let's oh face yeah. It, you're coming off the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. You're only getting better with the players you've added in the NFL draft, too. I'll say, and, and nothing, no additions in the other teams in their division are exactly telling me, oh, they're, they're not going to repeat as division champs. Yeah. I mean, the Chargers, they don't scare me. No. The Broncos, I mean, who knows? We don't know. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, their quarterback, uh, I'm escaping, Drew Luck, I think. Drew Luck. Or Drew Luck, thank you. He, we don't know what's going to yeah, happen with no. him. We don't know. And the, and the Raiders, I mean. Who knows? We still got to wait to see. I mean, they've been doing so, so much different moves there. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't know what team we're going to see in Vegas when they start playing. Yeah. But for the, for the Chiefs, though, they're built to win now. And this contract is very friendly to them, and I think other teams should be or should be looking at how they're structuring yeah. it. Yeah, and maybe this is something they should copy because, like we said, we brought up Seattle. They're very crippled by Russell Wilson's contract. Oh yeah, I mean, there's no way to say it otherwise. Yeah, but if teams can work it, and you get an MVP caliber type quarterback to be locked and loaded for a long term yeah. deal, and it's very friendly for the immediate future, which is what they need to be, because right. like I say. Once Mahomes starts getting figured out, mm-hmm. it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Is he still going to be the same consistent player? Debatable. Yeah, no, maybe. And and I, I would say the other thing that might work in their favor is if they're able to build a winning culture a la New England mm-hmm. and have you know maybe the same amount of success, they might get lucky in, in the same way New England did for a lot of years where you got guys who took a, a pay cut, took a cut because, hey, it's not the amount of money I might be worth or I want to get paid. But I'm going to a team that's virtually guaranteed to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's going to be something they're they're building right now in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And with this contract, that's what type of players you're going to need. I mean, New England has always set the blueprint for how to yeah. do an organization. Yeah. I, I hate saying this, too. You know much this pains me. Oh, I know. But, but it's true, though. The Patriots have established a culture of winning. Whatever is going to happen this year, especially with Cam Newton at the helm, mm-hmm. they might not fall off as much as it pains me to say. I mean... We're going to talk about that when we get to the football season. Right. But Kansas City is starting to build that culture there, and they have the the, the prime piece to build around. Because mm-hmm. with Mahomes, players are going to come to play with him. Oh, and yeah. And he's going to give them the ball. And he's and what they have set up down there is a blueprint to win. This contract is just another piece of that puzzle. They're going to be very scary for years to come, but it's also scary to see this is the direction of contracts, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we knew Patrick Mahomes was going to get paid. You <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, what, third year in the league and you're everyone in the Super Bowl? Oh, yeah. I mean, what's the MVP, motive? Super Bowl MVP, won a Super Bowl, 24 years old. Yeah. It's going to be absolutely wild to think about this, that he's got to stay motivated for that entire contract. Yeah. I think he will. Oh, I, I think he will, yeah. I think he's that type of player. But, yeah. you, but you have to remember, winning can also throw caution to your drive. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be up to him to keep his teammates motivated because if they start, let's say they, they win the next couple of Super Bowls. Sure. Just sure. throw this out there. Sure. What's the motivation to keep going in year four of this deal? Yeah. What's the motivation to go in year five? Winning does that. Because, like I say, if you think you can just turn it on with a light switch, mm-hmm. you don't. And teams pick up on this. I mean, this is where he's getting arguably, between him and Lamar Jackson, I think defensive coordinators have been scouting. Oh, yeah. No. This entire offseason. Those two. Without a doubt. So, however, they come out the gate. This season, if we have a season, mm-hmm. is going to be very telling. And especially with his contract, 
a lot more eyes are going to be on him, which is oh, yeah. weird to say. Yeah. But it's true. Oh, yeah. And he's got to be as consistent as he was last year because if he hypothetically doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't produce enough stats, sure. I'm, I'm going to throw this this argument out the window if it's a shortened season due to COVID. So let's just sure, sure, sure. get that statement now. But let's say they play the same amount of games. Uh-huh. He doesn't do as many touchdowns. Sure. Does a couple more interceptions. Sure. Yards are slightly down. Is it a failure? I, I wouldn't say so. Um, I would say if it, if it goes in the way the, the, when Chris Davis signed that mega deal with the Baltimore Orioles, mm-hmm. you know, he had the one good season, you know, and then they gave him the monster contract and he sucked ever since. Yeah. I would say if they don't ever make it to, you know, the, the championship game or, or let alone the Super Bowl again, then, you know, if the stats dip off a little bit, okay, that, you know, whatever. Defenses have figured him out. But I would say if they don't make it to the Super Bowl or even the championship game ever again, then it, to me it's a, it's a failure because every quarterback, you know, has ups and downs in their stats. I mean, as prolific as Drew Brees is, he's had his down years. Yeah. You know, same same for Brady, same for Brett Favre, same for Johnny Unitas. You know, insert your favorite quarterback, Joe Montana, Steve Young. You know, they've all had dips in their statistical years. It happens years. to everybody. It happens to everybody. But for me, a failure in the deal would be if they don't win another Super Bowl or even get back to the Super Bowl again. And the interesting thing I want to say with Mahomes is what interests me, not how he's going to handle the spotlight with this contract, because that's going to be blatantly obvious. Mm. I He's had a lot of success early on in his career, and deservedly so. It's been a lot of up for him and not a whole lot of downs. I would say only down for him was he had that knee injury yep. that you know plagued him for a couple of weeks, and then he was good. I want to see how he handles the adversity of you sucked for a couple of weeks. You're not winning like you're used to. You're just having a crap year. And how you handle the, you know, the, the media and everything else around you, questioning you and bearing down on you because you're not having a good year. Well, that's what we're going to see. That to me is the true test of you know, can a quarterback handle it. Well, I think he, he will. But I think what you're going to hear a lot of people say is if his stats are down, mm-hmm. People are going to be saying, oh, well, he, he doesn't care as much. He's not going to be as focused. Yeah. For me, I'm looking at what he does in the playoffs. I don't really oh, – yeah. if, if he has a slight fall off for, stati- for stats, I don't think that matters as much. I know people are going to run with it because of the contract. Oh, yeah, of course. But, like, let's say that they get to the AFC Championship game and lose. Sure. It's still not a failure. No. They got back. Because I think now that's going to be the real question. You got paid. Can you lead your team back? I was like, what team hasn't repeated in the Super Bowl since, what, Patriots in early 2000s? Something like that? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen often. That's no. That, it's the beauty of the NFL that every team does have a shot. And you see teams come out of nowhere oh, yeah. and get hot and make runs. Oh, Kansas yeah. City was this team a couple years ago. That everyone's like, wait, what's going on here? Last season, I mean, was a phenomenal run. It was. Can they pull this magic out again? You have to think yes. Oh, yeah, you would think. But when is another question. Yeah. But with Mahomes at the helm of the ship, you definitely have to say the chances are greater than not. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, the deal was crazy, but the pro- I would say probably the craziest thing to come out of this whole deal was, uh, of course, Adam Schefter was the one who came out with the news. At least we thought so. Yeah, we did. break this down. This so is wild. So, so this story came out uh, today as we record, and of course, as most most of us know Adam Schefter was the one who middle of the afternoon uh, yesterday as we record came out with the news. Uh, Schefter got scooped. He got beat. 
a woman by the name of Katie Camlin, who is a employee of, of Plaza Plaza Liquor in Kansas City, uh, tweeted out at twelve twenty one p.m. Uh, and she even location tagged her tweet uh, from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, said, "Quote: A front office employee for the Chiefs came in and bought six bottles of Dom Perignon. Uh, said there's a big signing today, and then she's got four uh, wide eye emojis. Uh, he said it's not Chris Jones, so my guess is a Mahomes deal." Close quote. So this one went under the radar. Nobody saw it. Nobody heard anything about it. Uh, and then Schefter comes out and says, you know, she, of course, this was time stamped at 1221. Uh, Schefter came out at 254 p.m. and announced a deal to which uh, Katie Camlin said, quote, holy shit, I beat Schefter. Ha ha ha. And so eventually Schefter found out about it and was nice enough to send her a message on Twitter and said, quote, well done. Keep me posted the next time some chiefs employee buys six bottles of bubbly. Be well and stay healthy. Very classy. Yeah. Like that. Like that a lot. Uh huh. Kansas City has to be loving. They have their quarterback. Oh, I mean, God, yeah. and, and the city has so embraced him, too. I remember yeah. the story about when he was uh, eating at a pizzeria mm-hmm. down there and the the everybody in there just left. Him oh, to yeah, eat. yeah, yeah. And he got up and he said, thank you so much for letting me have my time. And he actually bought everybody dinner. Yeah. I mean, when you have that kind of connection with the city, yeah. you're going to go places. And like I say, for Kansas City fans, you have to love this if you're in the rest of the league. You might not love it as much. Well, say if you're in the division, you got to be, like, pulling your hair out. Well, right now you know he's going to be a problem the next 10-plus. Mm-hmm. Just depends on how you can shut him down and where you go from there. Oh, yeah. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPH. Pastor Mahomes signs for half a billion dollars. Rewind that and say that again. Half a billion dollars. What's your thoughts on that? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello, I am Christy. And I'm Leighton. And together we are a new podcast on whiskey tasting called Married Married Mash. Mash. Where we discuss life, family, and pretty much anything. Yep, and Leighton brings a new whiskey for me to try. Will we clink it? Or will we sink it? Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And remember, always drink responsibly. Indeed. This is Rich, the host of the Three Fat Nerds podcast and co-host of the Horror Zone 607 podcast. And you are listening to our hashtag 607 podcast brothers, the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Now kick it back over to Ken Moneybags and the crew. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and it is time to talk some baseball. Yeah, it is. Pad is super fired up, so I'm just going to hand him the mic and let him go. Yep. Uh, So as we all know, uh, summer camp, as it's been coined, and i got to say I love that term, uh, is officially kicked off for the Major League Baseball, where all of the teams are at their respective stadiums doing a modified spring training doing social distancing and, and pra- practicing, getting ready. I know at one point uh, Aaron Boone, uh, manager of the Yankees, said that they might even be using, if you've ever been to Yankee Stadium, the Great Hall, which is that big open area as you walk right into the stadium. Guys might be practicing there. Uh, but I know I was super excited because last night as we record the Yes Network, which is the television station that carries Yankees games all year when they're not on nationally, uh, was showing a uh, inter-squad matchup between teammates. Very modified game. Uh, there was no left field. There was no center fielder. They were they were batting, but they weren't fielding. Uh, and they, at one point, somebody w- walked but didn't go to first base. <laughs> and then 
Uh, at certain points, they took four outs to get out of an inning just so the pitcher could get to their pitch count. It was wild, but if it, it wasn't old baseball, it was something live and new, so Christ if I still watched it. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we are approaching on the start of the modified shortened 60-game season, which is starting July 23rd uh, for a couple of two games, and then the season really kicks off July 24th. But we, before we get into some of those matchups, there, there are some differences for this year. Okay. Uh, here's how it's going to work. So 60 games, like we mentioned, uh, they will play 10 games against each of the other teams in its division for a total of 40 games. So I'll just use the AL East as, as an example. The Yankees will play the Red Sox, Tampa Bay Rays, the Toronto Blue Jays and the Baltimore Orioles 10 times. I know Gary Thorne has got to be real excited for that. Seeing Glaber Torres 10 times. Uh, and then they will play 20 interleague games against the teams in its corresponding geographic division. So American League East will play the National League East. American League Central will play the National League Central. American League West and the National League West will play each other. Uh, six of those 20 games will be against the team's natural interleague rival. So Yankees will play the Mets. White Sox will play the Cubs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that, and also they're doing that just to cut down on some long-distance travel and help prevent this further spread of COVID. Uh, like we mentioned, uh, opening day will be July 23rd. Uh, two games will be played, and then the rest of the team uh, will be playing their first game on July 24th. And the regular season is scheduled to end September 27th. So before we get into a little bit more, are you excited? You know what? I, I'm excited to see sports back. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know early on just the whole drama yeah. of what baseball was arguing about money during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It still lingers on me. I'm not gonna. Sure. I don't want to lie about it. and I don't want to backtrack. But once we get to the games, I'm warming up to it. Sure. I'm, I'm not gonna lie about it. Like sure. I just, for me, I struggle with it a little bit because of what was going on. And and for me, it's like I. It's gonna be like the same thing when they came back from the strike mm-hmm. way back when. Oh yeah. Once you start seeing games again, mm-hmm. and let's face it, with everything going on right now with COVID, it. I don't want to say it's a return to normal, mm-hmm. but. It's baseball. It's yeah. summertime. It's something to watch. It's something to watch, yeah. and it's something to, you know, something expected every year. Yeah. So, that being said, I'm warming up to it a little more. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm not fully like, yeah, sure, but like, because like I say, it just for me, there's just so much of like a shadow looming over sure. it that sure. we, we had to sit here and drag our heels because we're arguing about money instead of health and safety. Sure. So from so I'm just I want to be 100 percent honest sure. about it, but once we start watching the games, I know like you're gonna be hyping the the group chat we have between you and oh, the yeah. coach. Oh yeah. So I think I'm gonna get swayed into it a Probably. little bit. I mean, I'm I'm like I said, I'm amped up for the playoffs. I'm a little bummed because let's face it, the 2020 Astros uh, asterisks shame tour is gonna get a little modified because I was real amped up to see highlights every night of them walking into visiting cities and just getting booed relentlessly. I'm talking like A-Rod and Fenway Park levels of booed, Mm -hmm. and then they're not going to get it. But I know uh, folks have a long memory, and when uh, fans are able to return to baseball stadiums, because it won't be this year, uh, teams will be playing in empty stadiums this year, uh, the fans will still boom, and I cannot wait for that. Yeah, they're gonna get their due. It's uh-huh. they're, they're you're only delaying the inevitable there. Uh huh. <laughs> like we have to remind people about. Oh that. yeah, and let's let's not let's not forget uh, the American League West, which is the team, which is the division. The uh, or, excuse me, the the Astros are playing the Dodgers at some point this yeah, year. Yeah, the NLAL, which I, I, uh-huh. I, I'm actually they're gonna play each other and in Dodger Stadium. Which I have to say this: I'm not the biggest fan of interleague mm-hmm. because. 
just growing up watching baseball, like I, I think it's cool if you do like New York versus New York oh, yeah. or Chicago versus Chicago. Oh, yeah. I think to do the whole like divisions, sure. I think is a little much. But I do like it this year that sure. okay, it makes sense, especially on a short season. Sure. Less travel, sure. more safety. I mean, I like the tra- I like the traditional matchups, like you said, New York, New York, Chicago, Chicago. I like it some years better than others, especially because baseball, much in the way the NFL does it, they rotate which uh, other league divisions they play. Mm-hmm. So there's like the Yankees were supposed to be a couple of weeks ago, where if the season would have started, would have been playing in Wrigley, yeah. which doesn't happen every year. And so I love it in certain years because they get to go place teams and stadiums that they don't get to play them every year. Like when they, a couple of years ago, uh, when Torrey was still managing the Dodgers, the Yankees went into the, to Dodger State and played the Dodgers, which was just awesome to watch. Yeah. You know, but but getting back to it, uh, some more information. Postseason will follow the usual format with the two wildcard teams in each league meeting in a one-game playoff and the winners advancing to play the division winners. Uh, some other rule changes for 2020. Uh, there is a universal DH, so no more pitchers batting in the National Thank League. Thank God. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, I know Yankees fans remember a couple injuries. I'm sure there are injuries from other teams. That could have been avoided if the pitchers didn't have to freaking hit. Well, that's the whole thing about it. Like, in this day and age, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, you need a universal DH. Because yeah. You'll see yeah, in, yeah. in games. I mean, even pre-COVID, this was going on. Oh, yeah. Pitchers would get up there, and they'd be swing, laughing. Swing, swing. Yeah, they just want to get in and out just to, to do it. Some, not- p- some pitchers, especially in the American League, you they get asked, oh, are you excited to possibly bat tonight? And they'll be like, oh, listen, I'll be honest. I haven't swung a bat yeah. since high school. They're not they're not doing that. So no. for that, I, I applaud that. I, I yeah. think that's a smart move. Yep. Uh, there is a three-batter minimum for pitchers. So gone are the days of the utility out guy bringing in a lefty to face a lefty or something like that. Interesting. Yeah, so you bring in a pitcher. He's got to face a minimum of three batters. If he gets shell, faces three, still if he still gets shelled and has faced three batters, you can still pull the guy. But you can't bring a guy in, face one guy, and pull him out. Uh, and then extra innings will start with a runner on second base. As odd as that sounds, I guess that's done in a way to cut down on the amount of amount of. They were talking about it even even before COVID, but with COVID going on and all of that stuff, they want to cut down on the amount of time those guys are on the field, uh, limiting the amount of exposure they have to each other. Because let's face it, these guys spend a lot of time on the field, especially standing next to each other. If you're a base runner, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Is that done like the same way of college football? Like every mm, maybe like because I would say that whoever is the visiting team obviously gets first at bats, mm-hmm. so they automatically have a runner on second to start the inning. Maybe and then does the home because de- like I think that's an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say that yeah. If they did that, as yeah. I say, as exciting as it is to watch 15, 16, 17, 18 inning games, oh. I, I at points I'm like, oh my god, just get it over. Yeah, with. no, I, I I can't. I remember way back when when Jeter did the infamous run into the crowd oh, against yeah. Boston. I mean, oh, how yeah. long was that game? Seventeen innings. And I remember that being in, during a heat wave, like we're in it was right early, now, early July, third floor apartment. Oh yeah. Yeah, trust me. There's years off my life because of oh, that yeah. game and, for, and I, for multiple reasons. Yeah, and an interesting thing with the runner on second base. I know they brought up in the broadcast of the Yankees inter squad game last night. Uh, David Cohn brought it up. It'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, will you get to pick who go is that runner on second base? Do you put a speedy guy on there? Do you put a guy who's average on there? And then what do you do? You know, do you? automatically bunt to start off or if you have a power hitter do you let them do you not bunt well it'll be real interesting to see some of the uh, uh thought processes gone into that yeah i have to agree i mean there's so much strategy that managers do mm-hmm. during games i, I think it's a, it's a forgotten art yeah that this year with everything going on and, and with rule changes it's going to mm-hmm. be very very intriguing to see how they adapt yeah i'm not sure we've seen this kind of mental chess 
in baseball in a long time. I mm-hmm. think I think we're going to see a lot more oh, different yeah. matchups. Yeah, and especially with you know expanded a little bit expanded rosters. And I know when they're traveling on the road, they can carry up to three extra players, and one of them's got to be a catcher. So it'll be real interesting to see who they bring and and who they have with them. You know, it'll be something that you haven't seen for baseball in a long time. No, you definitely haven't. So, I mean, it'll be something added, because especially with this season, too. And I know one criticism I've heard, and actually I want to bring up to you. Sure. It's a 60-game season. Uh Uh-huh. Do you think it takes anything away from a champion winning the season or no? No. I mean, for a couple of years, people think, oh, well, that was a shortened season, yada, yada, yada. And, And when you... If this if the season gets brought up in like some sort of list on you know with recent champions or whatever, mm. you know it might go oh you know, highlight shortened season. But I think once you get past a certain point in time, nobody's going to care. You know, yeah. I, I don't think it diminishes at all. I don't think so either. I know I've had some online chat about that. Sure. So I know whoever loses the World Series is going to gripe until the end of time. Well, but the, you know that's true for regular amount of season. Yeah, you can't gripe about it no. during, during with everything going on. No, I, I just find it very interesting that people are already diminishing it. Mm-hmm. Like I say, I, I don't hold it against it for sixty games. Right. Like I say, the only thing I, I've held, and we've already talked about that, mm-hmm. is because of the delay, because of yeah. money talks. But, yeah. But overall, though, I mean, baseball is back. Yeah, I mean, getting into some of the interesting matchups we got for opening day. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting off real strong, uh, July 23rd at 7.08 Eastern. And I'm not going to read all the times. This is just read the times for the first two games. 7.08 Eastern, uh, you have the defending champs in the Washington Nationals taking on the New York Yankees. So buckle up, boys and girls. Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer to start the season. Good Lord. That's primetime baseball right there. Uh-huh. Uh, after that, at 10.08 Eastern, you've got the San Francisco Giants taking on the L.A. Dodgers. And Clayton Kershaw, I believe, is starting. For his ninth consecutive uh, opening day start. Good Lord. Uh, some other games you got going on uh, the day after, you've got the Atlanta Braves taking on the New York Mets, Detroit Tigers taking on the Cincinnati Reds, uh, Toronto Blue Jays taking on the Tampa Bay Rays, My uh, Florida Marlins taking on the Philadelphia Phillies, Brewers taking on the Cubs, Royals taking on the uh, Cleveland Indians, Baltimore Orioles taking on the Red Sox, uh, Colorado Rockies taking on the uh, Texas Rangers in their new can opener ballpark. Sorry, Texas fans, it looks like it looks like a can. Yeah, it, it doesn't look it's all a that good. Weird shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Minnesota Twins taking on the Chicago White Sox, Pittsburgh Pirates taking on the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks taking on the San Diego Padres, Seattle Mariners taking on the Houston Asterisks. Uh, and then you've got all uh, the San Francisco Dodgers taking on the L- San Francisco Dodgers, wow, San Francisco wow. Giants taking on the LA Dodgers again, uh, and then the uh, Anaheim Angels taking on the Oakland Athletics, uh, and then some other games you just want to keep your eye on uh, to check out. Like we mentioned, uh, circle the dates: July twenty eighth, July 29th, LA Dodgers, Houston Astros. Need I say more? Yeah, that one could be very, very interesting for a lot of different if, reasons. If the Astros don't get plunked by that point, and I will be astounded if they don't, they're absolutely going to get plunked in that game. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm i not wishing this. I don't want uh-huh. this very stressed. We might see a bench-clearing brawl during that game. Oh, I guarantee it. I, I will say that. That might be one that I would not be surprised if something comes out the day of. Because this has been known to happen in situations where Major League Baseball and the umpires know something's going to happen. Oh yeah, that they'll. I know it's happened in Red Sox and Yankees games a number of times where the powers that be know something's going to happen and the teams get warned before the game even starts. Yeah, and it's not going to matter. No, no. Obviously, with everything Houston's done over their track record, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's going to happen. Like uh-huh. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a nice way to say, but yeah. no, that is inevitable. Mm-hmm. 
and how they react to it. I'm just hoping they don't try to, to uh, return fire. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see some other games to check out. Uh, August 7th through the 9th, you've got the Oakland Athletics taking on the Houston Astros. Why is that interesting, you say? Uh, that is when uh, Oakland starter Mike Fires. Uh, name might sound familiar. Uh, the man who exposed Whoa. the Houston Astros for all of their cheating scandals uh, faces his uh, former teammate in Houston. Hmm. So that'll be real interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, I don't. I don't expect a warm welcome there. No. Uh, and then uh, August twenty first through the twenty third, you've got the Battle of Chicago between the White Sox and the Cubs. That one's always a good one. You know, a couple brawls over the years. So we'll we'll see how that one goes. Uh, and then at the end of August, you've got the Twins taking on the Indians. You know, another divisional matchup where real close last year might be real close this year. Uh, and that's that's kind of all. The interleague matchup should be interesting. I know the Yankees today uh, announced some inter uh, some exhibition games, and I know the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, the last of the three, the Philadelphia Phillies are playing in New York against the Yankees. So you will have Joe Girardi's return to Yankee Stadium. You know what? I I I think if fans were allowed in, because mm-hmm. it means still that we're not going to have fans in the stadium. Nope. nope. I think he would get a warm reception. Exactly. I think it'd be mixed. Well, I think it would be mixed, but I think mostly warm. I think it would be mostly warm. I mean, it would just. I mean, that's the one thing about baseball without crowds is Mm -hmm. a lot of the extra storylines you're not going to know until obviously next season or or whatever's whenever fans are going to be allowed back. Right, we don't we don't even know. Right, and we don't really know. The only situation I know with what's going to be happening at the stadium is Oakland, where the Oakland Athletics and I forget the dollar amount, but they're they're offering for a dollar amount. to the team they will put a cardboard cutout of yourself in the stadium and then for a little bit more they'll put it in foul territory and if the ball hits your cardboard cutout they will you give them your address they will mail the ball to you so which is a cool idea i don't know what other teams are going to be doing there hasn't i haven't even heard anything of if they're going to do like i know some of the soccer teams across the seas have done where they pump in some sound from the video game. Maybe baseball will do something similar just to kind of keep an atmosphere. Because it's like they said the Yankees broadcast last night. There's going to be no crowds. They're going to be able to hear the broadcasters all the way down to the field. So if they say something they don't like, they're going to get some death stares. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. Yeah. And obviously they're making the best of a bad situation. Oh, yeah. So you can't fault them for trying some different stuff. Because I know that that's going to be something, no matter what sports organization it's going to be, there's going to be criticism. Oh, yeah. But let's face it, you're getting sports in a pandemic era. Mm-hmm. They're making do with what they yeah. got. So I'm I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt and let them try some stuff to, yeah. to see what can be as close to, I hate saying it, but like what's close to normal mm-hmm. as we're going to see. But with baseball coming back, this is going to be one of the challenges they have. And who knows? I mean, if they come back and they have a, a full season next year, hopefully. Mm. Oh, yeah, I ho- I'm yeah. hoping. Would they make some of these changes stick? Maybe. I mean, I, for me, I'm all for a shorter season, and not saying 60 games, mind you, but I wouldn't, right. mind, I wouldn't mind going 151 and starting the playoffs early. Yeah. That is one I've been really hoping they do. But we'll have to wait and see. I mean, there's just so much question marks going into this, and obviously when they get started, the big thing is going to be watching is can everybody stay safe and healthy. Right. That's the one thing I'm hoping for for all sports organizations running right now. And with everybody right now, it's just staying safe and as healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. Baseball is going to have a lot of eyes on them. And definitely opening day is going to be a fun one. Oh, yeah. And it's it's going to be interesting to see who the teams bring and whatnot. I know for the Yankees uh, watching their game last night, uh, they had their number two overall prospect, Clark Schmidt pitch. Mm-hmm. 
good lord, that kid's good. I'll have to show you some of the highlights. He's got a nasty curveball. Definitely want to see that. Aaron Judge says he's ready for opening day two. I would say that's been as, as awful as everything has been with COVID and nasty. That's kind of one of the silver linings for the Yankees is when they st- if the season would have started when it did, the Yankees would have been without Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and Aaron Hicks. You know, they're starting outfield, but because the season got uh, delayed and postponed, they're all going to be ready. And here's the wild one I, they said in the Yankees broadcast last night. Aaron Hicks is going to be the first player in Major League history to have Tommy John surgery and not miss a game. Wow. Because of the delay. Wow. Because of the delay in the season, he didn't miss any games in the regular season. So he'll have had successful Tommy John surgery, come back, and not miss a game. That's insane. Uh-huh. I mean, to know what that injury does, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's a full, what, 9 to 12 months off? At least. At least. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and, and players have come back and, and, and prospered from it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like, that is a crazy stat. Oh, yeah. To say the least. Yeah. You, wow. I mean, mind is blown right now. I'm really trying to focus my words on this. But, I, yeah, that's such a crazy stat mm-hmm. that, that is going to be true. Like, I mean, just how baseball is going to be run this year, I mean, that's just another story to go along with it. Mm-hmm. I and especially with a short season too, most of the rosters are going to be healthy. I know talking with New York Mets fans, oh yeah, they're very excited about this. Oh, I'm sure because usually they have the bad luck with injuries. Oh yeah, but it's going to be something for baseball fans and fans of sports in general to be excited about. Like I say, I'm warming to it. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm warming up to it. But just to see baseball get back on the field, it's going to be great to see sports back live. Yeah, and the month of July that's got a lot is going to be one of the wildest months of sports history mm-hmm. in memory because you're going to have the NBA, NHL, and MLB running. Mm-hmm. NFL is doing business, but they're not – I mean, they're restructuring their preseason right now. Right. They took away two uh, preseason games, which makes sense. Given, I, I know some people are like, wait, why are they doing that? Teams really haven't had a chance to get together and practice yet, so they're going to need more time to get ready for the season, so that makes sense. Yeah, and plus they're also giving an extra extra week mm-hmm. um, to make sure players are healthy and safe right. going into the season. So I know when they took off weeks one and four. Right, and it does appear that the Players Association is making plans in case something happens. A thing just came across my phone uh, that's uh, from Bleacher Report. Uh, the NFL Players Association says the league wants to hold 35% of player salaries in escrow if revenue is impacted by COVID-19. Well, see, everybody's got to be smart about yeah. this, too. I mean, obviously, running a business during this time period is a very difficult task. Oh, yeah. Baseball, now that we've gotten all the drama out of the way, hopefully we get to the games, and yeah. hopefully that's the headline finishing out 2020 with them and not talking about money owed during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Baseball is back. What is your thoughts going into the season? What games are really standing out to you, and are you excited for opening day? Are you more excited than Pad? Probably not. Probably not. But hey, that's a great conversation to have. So hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandi Fleets. And we're from Book Book of Lies, Lies, the podcast, where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar, and learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies podcast. You can connect with us on social media, Twitter at Book of Lies pod, Facebook and Instagram at Book of Lies podcast. Bye. Bye. 
Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for segment number three on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and it is time to go to Fight Island. In air quotes. Yes. The UFC is now at their fantasy island, shall we say. Fantasy beach. Yes. Over in Yaz Island. Uh-huh. We are now going to Fight Island for the next four cards. We're leaving the Apex yep. in Vegas, which left some of the best fights. Like I, yeah. I'm at this stage. I really don't want to leave. Yeah. But here we are. We're going. And they're definitely starting off strong, albeit a lot of drama has happened since we last recorded. It's amazing how much drama can you can fit into a week. Yeah, I think that they purposely waited until we got done recording. That's usually how it goes. Yes, because now we have to get you caught back up to speed on what is going on with the UFC. Mm-hmm. UFC 251 was originally announced that Gilbert Burns was taking on Kamaru Usman. Mm-hmm. And then, unfortunately, Burns has been diagnosed with COVID-19. Burns and his head coach, if I believe. Yes. So they had to pull him out of the fight. Yep. Lo and behold, we get Jorge Masvidal stepping in. I mean, twist my arm about it, why don't you? Right. But obviously, Masvidal was originally scheduled to fight Usman, Mm -hmm. and it didn't happen right away. There was some talk about the contract structuring for Mm -hmm. Masvidal, and he definitely didn't want to fight under the deal he had. Yep. Made a lot of points, but it was still, he was on the sidelines. Burns stepped in to fight Usman. Yep. Obviously, things have had to change. Yep. Masvidal has now reworked his deal with the UFC. We don't know figures. Nope. But now he has taken on Kamaru Usman. Going on a limb, less than Patrick Mahomes. Yes, I will definitely say that. But Masvidal is definitely stepping in to save the day. Mm-hmm. That is going to be main eventing one of the biggest fight cards of the year. We'll say uh, not up for contention, the BMF title. Yes. No, that, that title, which I, I have to remind people, is a made-up title. Mm-hmm. It is. There's no ranking. There is no certain... Uh, there rank- is a ranking. Number one contender is uh, either of the Diaz brothers. Take your pick. Well, I will say that, but I mean, under the uh, ruling governing sports federations, whatever you want to define it, the BMF title is not recognized. No. But it could be recognized at some point. Who knows? Who Maybe. knows? We'll see. But right now, we have to talk about UFC 251. There's a lot of stuff going on with it. Yeah. We did actually a deep dive on the wrestling show over oh. on 3FN. Uh, Rich and I were talking about the entire card, but, Pad, we are just going to be focusing on the main card for this. Yeah. So if you want to hear about all the prelim talk, head on over to 8122 Productions, and you can definitely check it out. But let's talk the main card, UFC 251, deep dive on it. Let's go. Yeah, so, of course, as Ken mentioned, uh, taking place this Saturday from Yaz Island in the Abu Dhabi over in the United Arab Emirates. It is UFC 251. Uh, one thing we should note, uh, because I know I myself was wondering this this morning, uh, be because a lot of times when a card happens overseas, it starts at bizarre times. Of course, I remember infamously there was that one that took place in China a couple of years ago that finished at like 6.30 or 7.30 in the morning. Yeah, I remember watching that before I went to work. Lord have mercy. Uh, because this uh, event is taking place without fans, they don't have to worry about local timing of the event. So it will start at normal times for uh, us here in the States and wherever you watch around the world. So whatever time you're used to watching UFC events, if it is a normal pay-per-view that's taking place in, say, Vegas, New York, Ohio, wherever 
it will start at your regular times. So no need to worry about or look up or Google search what time this thing's starting at. It's regular times. Uh, a couple of fights we want to look at are kind of the big ones. Uh, one of which is the a women's strawweight matchup on the main card between Jessica Andrade versus Thug Rose Namajunas. Going to be a fun rematch. Yeah, Obviously, uh, Andrade beat Namajunas the mm-hmm. first time they fought. Yep. And... That was a fight that Rose was winning. Yeah, Striking yeah. was on point. Yep. And Andrade caught her in a slam and knocked her out. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this one's got a nice story behind it. It's going to be a good rematch. Mm-hmm. So, Pat, let me ask you, who you got? Uh, I'm going to go with Thug Rose. You know, she, I think she's got a chip on her shoulder. She wants to prove that that loss was a fluke. Uh, she hasn't fought since she lost, as you mentioned, to Jessica Andrade back in May of 2019. Uh, how, and we look at uh, Jessica Andrade. Uh, her last fight was where she lost to Weili Zhang and lost the strawweight championship. So obviously both fighters coming in with a chip on their shoulder. I think uh, Rose got slightly bigger chip on her shoulder uh, and she's going to want to prove that, Hey, I'm still the woman to beat in this division. And that was just a fluke. Yeah. I like Rose in this one too. I think Rose is going to be uh, smarter to keep some distance. Mm-hmm. She's going to be striking. Um, I'm predicting a lot of leg kicks. I don't know oh, why. Yeah. I know that's kind of, Something we're going to see later on in the in the fights, but mm-hmm. I think that to keep Andrade on her toes and keep her at a distance, I think she's going to be working a lot inside and outside leg kicks. Yep. So I do like Namajunas in this one. I'd like it by unanimous decision. Okay. Um, I think as long as she avoids getting taken down in a clinch mm-hmm. or slammed, because yeah. Andrade is definitely the stronger of the fighters. Right. But I think if Namajunas can stay on the outside and just work points. I think she's got a great chance to win this mm-hmm. one. Uh, next fight we're going to look at is a matchup in the bantamweight division, which, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, for the vacant uh, UFC bantamweight Correct. championship between Peter Yan and Jose Aldo. Okay. So this one, I I have said previously I'm okay with the fight. I don't think Aldo should be in the fight. I think it should be Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, so yeah, looking at the uh, record, obviously in t- 34 professional records, uh, Jose Aldo, 28 wins, six losses. However, coming off back-to-back losses to Marlon Moraes back in December of last year by split decision, and then uh, a unanimous decision loss to Alexander Volkanovsky in May of last year. Right, so this is where he's been teetering around bantamweight. He's left the featherweight division where he was king for many years. Oh, yeah. Can take nothing away what he's done. No, go through the list of who he's beat. Yeah, the WEC to the UFC, one of the most dominant champions you'll ever find. Mm -hmm. Stepping down in the weight class, though, I don't like him at 135. I really don't. No. I would much rather see him try going to 155 for a weight class. Yeah. Just because I I think for him and his size, he... (laughs) It's the optical test. Mm-hmm. I don't think he looks healthy at 135. Right. But it's not to say he can't hang at 135. Flip the coin, though, Peter Yan, one of the most underrated fighters that you probably don't know about. I know right. he's 14 and 1, and he is definitely a beast at that division. I'll say 14 and 1, and I had to look it up. His last loss was not even in the UFC, uh, it was for a Russian Federation back in March 26th of 2016. So. The man hasn't lost in four years and hasn't lost since he joined the UFC. Yeah, no, he is an absolute beast. I like Yan big in this one, big time. Mm-hmm. I think he finishes Aldo. I know it sounds kind of weird saying, but I think Aldo is at that stage in his career that when you drop down a weight class or you move up a weight class, right. it's usually because yeah. the skills are slightly diminishing uh, right. mo- yeah. most of the time. Sometimes yeah. you, know, you clean out a division and you have to move up because mm-hmm. there's nobody else left to fight. In Aldo's case... 
him dropping down, he adds star power to that division. Oh, yeah. That they don't have right now. Henry Cejudo vacated, mm-hmm. allegedly is trying to get to 145. We'll that's, see. That's for another that's for another podcast. We will I will save my opinions for that. And right now, 135 is definitely needing some star power. Cody Garbrandt had a great comeback fight knockout mm-hmm. recently. So yeah. he's gotta be in that continu- yeah. that conversation. The Sugar Show 2.0 is a rising star in that division. Yeah. Aljamain Sterling had one of his best performances on record, you know, just recently. Oh, yeah. So they definitely need somebody to step into the spotlight. Oh, yeah. That division is not as forgotten as the flyweight division. <laughs> no. But it's definitely one that flies under the radar. They, they do they, have they a, need a little bit of a boost. They need a boost of somebody. Sure. I think Yan beating Aldo will definitely draw some attention to it. Absolutely. And uh, the next fight you have to make if he wins, which I think he's going to win, I think he's going to finish Aldo, is Yan versus uh, Sterling. Okay. You, you have to make that fight. Yeah. No, I mean... I don't think I think Ian's going to win. I don't think he's going to you know knock him out or submit him. I think it's going to be unanimous decision. Uh, but I mean, looking at Ian's record, his last couple of fights uh, beat John Dotson in February of last year uh, by unanimous decision. Beat Jimmy Rivera by unanimous decision in June of last year, and then knocked out uh, Uriah Faber in December of last year. So on a roll, you know, I think he'll be able to pull it off. But I don't think it'll be like a knockout. I think it'll be decision. See, I think he needs to have a highlight finish. Whether it's a submission or knockout, mm-hmm. I think he needs to if he really wants to have a star-making moment. Sure, you know, much the same as how Masvidal had that knockout of Ben Askren, which you're seeing all week on social media. Yeah, and even more so after that. Much to Ben Askren's chagrin. Yeah, him on social media right now is actually kind of funny about that. But getting back to this fight, though, I think Yan needs to have that star-making fight. Yeah, I think this is going to be it for him. And for whatever happens with Aldo, if Aldo wins. It's a feather in his cap. Right. I, but like I say, I just don't see him doing that at a smaller weight class at this stage in his career. I just don't. It's nothing against him personally. I just think the father time is slowly creeping on him a little bit. Yeah, I'd say so. And the fact that once father time catches you, everything kind of falls by the wayside. So mm-hmm. we'll have to wait and see what happens in this one. But I like Ian a lot in yeah. this one. Uh, after that, in the co-main event for the featherweight championship, you have champion Alexander Volkanovsky defending his belt against Max Holloway. So the first time that this fight happened, Volkanovsky leg kicked Holloway to death. Mm-hmm. That was the fight in pretty much a summary. Yeah, that Volkanovsky took out Holloway early. He had a better game plan. He looked the better fighter. I mean, Max has always fought at 145. He, even when he stepped up to 155, he's a small 155. Mm-hmm. You want to see prime example of that? Him versus Dustin Poirier. Yeah. When he tried stepping up there. It's nothing against Max. Max has been a great fighter in that division. I like Max a lot. Mm-hmm. But I'm. it's going to be tough for him, I think, to figure out what Volkanovski is going to do. Right. Because, obviously, he, he's already fought him once, so you have an idea. Mm-hmm. But you have to figure, going into a rematch, Volkanovski is going to try doing something different. You would think. You would think. I mean, he could just try doing the leg kicks of doom again. Yeah. And they work the first time, but you have to figure Max is ready for it this time. Oh, yeah. Even though I I have heard some crazy reports that he hasn't done a training camp. Good Lord. And he hasn't really done anything to get ready for this other than just like some light sparring. I've heard rumor. I can't say that's a a 100% definite. If that is the case, that's absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. But risky. It's 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 risky, and I know Max is that kind of fighter. He will just scrap with you. Yeah. So for this one though, 
I do like Volkanovski. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, I think this is going to be a decision one because I think it's going to come down to one of two things. Max has to win outright or Volkanovski has to finish him. Yeah. I, you, can't, you can't have another decision because I'm not saying you're going to see a trilogy fight. No. I, I, I don't because the first one is so unanimous for Volkanovski that if this one's a split decision, I could see an argument sure, maybe. Sure, But I think for him, he definitely needs to finish Max to really solidify himself at 145. Yeah. He's already the champ, but still, when you win the fight once, great. When you beat somebody that was so dominant in that weight class again, mm-hmm. that's really saying something because I think for him, looking at 145, he's going to see the winner of – Brian Ortega versus the Korean Zombie whenever that fight happens. It's a matter of whoever makes it out of there alive. Yeah, because that one, if you have not been following the social media trash talk, it is something to read. This fight, that when, wherever that fight happens, that's going to be one of my fights of the year. I'd say it's on the level of trash talk between our uh, main event that we're going to get to. It, it's around there, and it's getting worse every time I'm reading it. Like, yeah. they're really... They don't like each other. You can sense that there is some real problems between those two. Yeah. And those make for great fights. Yeah. So I'm excited to see that one. And like I said, that winner is going to get the winner of this title right. match. I, I, full, I fully bank on it. So who you got in this one, Pat? Well, a couple things of note. Uh, Max Holloway has said that he's going to auction off his UFC 251 fight kit for charity. Very cool. Uh, all proceeds are going to be going to the Hawaii Food Bank. So if you're a Max Holloway fan, keep an eye out for that. Um, it'll, it's real interesting because you look at Max Holloway's record in 26 professional matches. He is 21-5. and five. Uh, His last fight, obviously, was the unanimous decision loss to Alexander Volkanovsky. Back in December of last year. Prior to that, he defeated Frankie Edgar by unanimous decision in July of last year. Lost to Dustin Poirier by, by unanimous decision in April of last year. And then was on a wicked win streak to where his last fought loss prior to that was August of 2013. You know, long, long win streak. On the flip side, you look at Alexander Volkanovsky, 22 professional matches, 21 wins, one loss. That lone loss coming in the Australian Fighting Championship back in May of 2013. The man has not lost in seven years. Um, it's going to be really interesting just because, you know, like you said, if it's true that Holloway hasn't done a fight camp and has only done, yeah, done light sparring. You know, I also know I saw a clip from uh, Ariel Helani when he was talking to Daniel Cormier. He's been trash talking Daniel Cormier, saying that, you know, when he wins this fight Saturday and gets that belt, he's going to come for, quote, your old ass and beat it so I can take that championship. So he, so he's trash talking DC and, and to saying he's going to whip DC's. I love Max. DC's old ass. Max crazy. Uh huh. Well, so, but you know, I I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to go with Holloway on this one. I think he's going to pull it out. Wow. I think he's going. I think he might submit him or even knock him out. I'm not saying it's not possible, but if he does this and it's revealed he did no camp for it, that is going to be one of the craziest stories I've ever heard in MMA. Mm-hmm. Ever. <laughs> Like, that entire rumor that's going around about that is just head exploding right yeah. now. But And it's funny because if you talk to Volkanovsky, he said this should have been the main event all the time. Right. It's not because, let's face it, the actual main event. They want now, to kill each other. Now that we've gotten to here, Kamaru Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. They want to kill each other. Yeah, the, this is a legit fight. They almost got into it at UFC, or not UFC, uh, Super Bowl Media Weekend, day. yeah. Super Bowl Media Day or whatever it was. They got into it. 
Yeah, then this is not like anything to hype up a fight. They have general dislike for each other. Yeah. To put it mildly. Also, this ain't going to be like, you know, wrestling Triple H feuding against Shawn Michaels when they're actually friends. No, yeah. They hate each other. There is definitely a lot of bad blood between them. Uh, Masvidal has definitely been saying that he wants to finish this one. He mm-hmm. wants to break his jaw. Usman has been training with Justin Gaethje out in Denver. Mm-hmm. So he's been working on his striking this is the fight we've been long waiting for. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, with Burns pulling out and we're hoping he has a speedy recovery yeah, and he can come yeah, right yeah. back into it, this is the fight we've always wanted. This is one we've been waiting on for a long time. Because Masvidal, ever since he won the BMF title, mm-hmm. it's been who's next. Right. Should have been a rematch against Nate Diaz. I think it should have been. Yeah. Um, But, obviously, he had his chance to get his title shot. This is going to be the first time, I believe, in 17 years of fighting. He's yeah. going to get a first title shot, which yep. is the story behind this is just crazy. Yeah, his it, well, it's his first uh, UFC ch- championship for Masvidal. Masvidal did have a uh, contend for the Strikeforce Lightweight Championship uh, back in December of 2011. Oh, that's right, against Gilbert Melendez, right? Yep, he lost that one. But, I mean, he's had some uh, – yeah, that title shot. But in terms of UFC, UFC he has not had a UFC title uh, matchup in his entire run. That's crazy. So now we finally get to Fight Island. Mm-hmm. We know that Usman has been a dominant champion. Since so he, yeah, not even just since he got to the UFC, his his professional record, period. Uh, 17 professional matches, 16 wins, one loss, that lone loss in his second ever professional fight back in May of 2013. Yeah, I mean, the performances he's done to get to get the belt and mm-hmm. and maintain it. Even Colby Covington, he ran through. Yeah, uh, knocked him out in the fifth round, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was just a one-sided affair. And say, wasn't Colby super bloodied up after that, Oh, yeah, too? he was a mess. Yeah, and, I, remember and that. I know there's some talk that Colby wanted a rematch. I, I fully don't believe it. I'm, I'm, no, in the ben don't Ask- want that. I'm in the Ben Askren camp about this one. That He, oh, yeah. he, he even said, he goes, Colby doesn't want it. Jorge does. Uh-huh. Fully believe that. Oh, yeah. So now, Pad. Yeah. It's time, if I may quote Bruce Buffer, mm-hmm. who you got. Uh, I'm going to go with Usman. I think the track record is there. You look at the lo- the lineup of folks he's beaten. Colby Covington, Tyron Woodley, uh, Del Sanos, Damian Maya, Sergio Moraes, you know, Shane Strickland, you know, Leon Edwards, you know, the, just the names he's run through. And, it, you know, it's either knockout or decision. It, it, there's no two ways about it. You know, flip side Masvidal. Nothing to take away from him. He's a bad dude, and I don't say that just because he has that belt. He's a bad dude that, you know, honestly, I wouldn't want to get in a fight with him if I met him on the street. But I, Usman's just on another level that I don't know if Masvidal can get to. I I thought about this because I know when I originally recorded with Rich from 3FN, I took Usman. Okay. And then I had a talk with one of our friends of the show, common man Vince Atoli from oh, Crow's Nest Okay. And he brought up something that, it made me think a little bit. And what he said is, you notice that Usman was really striking with Colby. And that's how he won that fight. And now he's been training with Gus, Justin Gaethje. Mm-hmm. And so what do you think that entails? That he has hands. That he can be a dominant striker and so use his wrestling. Do you think that he's going to try standing with Masvidal? Probably not. If he wants to win this fight, he should not. But I am going to say this, and I'm going to flip my original pick. Okay. I am taking Masvidal. Okay. Because I think when Vince brought that up to me, 
I the more I'm thinking about it, it's to a lesser degree of when Frank Mir was knocking people out. Like you mm. got a couple, you got a couple knockouts all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he stopped trying to go for submissions. There's like there's like a little stretch of his career that he was doing. Yeah, this. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm now seeing Usman might do that. Hmm. Like I think it's a horrible idea. Right. Like because honestly, this fight's going to go one of two ways. Either Usman's going to use his wrestling and take him down. Right. And I want to say fight a GSP style fight sure. and just keep Masvidal on his back. Sure. Or he's going to try standing with Masvidal and he's going to lose. Right. He's going to lose badly. So that being said, I fully agree with with Common Man. I was I'm now sold on that idea that Usman's going to try throwing hands with him. Mm. And I think that's going to be such a mistake that now this is going to be Masvidal's chance to shine. Mm-hmm. And if he can pull this off, this is going to be one of the greatest comebacks or greatest stories in MMA history. I don't want to say a comeback, mm-hmm. but for a guy that has been fighting for as long as he has. And, I mean, you can go through the history of Jorge Masvidal. Right. He has definitely been a guy that, I mean, started out fighting – you know, in backyards in Miami, like right. it's, it's oh, a, yeah. the story is very similar, almost to Kimbo Slice, right, right, the late, right, the late Kimbo Slice, and just how he rose through the ranks, and he's just gone through organizations, and he finally got real recognition with that devastating knockout of Ben Askren. Yeah, like, yeah. If you've been a fight fan, and you've been watching him for years, you know who he is, right? I mean, from when we went through Donald Cerrone, he's been putting fights together too. I mean, he's been. You can just look at his track record throughout. This is the time now, though, if. Usman decides to stand with him. And trust me, he's been throwing hands. So it's not out of the realm of thought to think he's going to try standing with him. But if he makes that mistake for one minute too long, Masvidal is going to take him out. I know that his coach, Mike Brown, did not make the trip over uh, because I believe he's now tested positive for COVID as well. Right. I think Masvidal is going to come in there so focused that even though he got his deal, Mm -hmm. this is like a legacy moment too. And especially he doesn't like... Usman, he's been training for Usman too. Yeah, I know he's been working with different wrestlers to work on his grappling. So that's a that's something in his you know repertoire here now. Mm. Not saying he's going to be a, a takedown artist, but he's been training for Usman this entire time. It's not like he's going in cold, even though he's taking a fight on seven days' notice. Right. This is where I think he's really going to step his game up, and I think he's going to pull off the uh, the upset because I think Usman's actually going to try standing with him, and I think that's such a bad idea. I, I and if Usman proves me wrong, he's going to take him down, and he's going to be laying some shots from the ground too. Which, mm. like I say, who wins? The fans do. Absolutely, we are going to win this one. Yeah, we are. But I'm taking Masvidal. I'm going to flip my pick. Okay. I, I'm going to take Masvidal. We'll have to see what happens Saturday night mm-hmm. at Fight Island. Yeah, we are going to be live tr- live streaming this. Not the actual fight. You're not going to see the fight itself. But you're going to see us live streaming the reactions. You're going to get our play-by-play during the fight. You never know who's going to stop by the stream. So definitely check out twitch.tv slash 607 podcast Saturday night. I know we're going to be doing the prelims, going right into the main card. It's going to be a fun time, so definitely check it out on Twitch. But definitely let us know what you think. UFC 251 is going down this weekend. Who you got? Let us know on the social media accounts. You can find them on ochoduroparleyhour.com. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Vince, the Common Man, CTO, a local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast.
Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, Local Minute. Just support local wherever you're at. Mm-hmm. So let's round those bases and take the show home. Pad, lead us off. Uh, we have a bit of an anniversary to celebrate or not celebrate, depending on how you look at it. Ken, do you remember where you were 10 years ago? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, you might remember, some might not. 10 years ago, if you don't remember where you were, this might jog your memory. Uh, 10 years ago was The Decision. Yeah. I The, the highly anticipated hour-long television extravaganza, although I think someone failed to call it that, uh, where LeBron James in his first year of free agency would uh, anticipate where he would be signing after uh, being drafted for and playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers for Cavaliers for a number of seasons. Was he going to stay in uh, Cleveland? Was he going to go to New York? Was he going to go to Miami? Where was he going to go? The world was highly anticipated. I know I myself was very anticipated by this. I really wanted to know. I remember very distinctly where I was. Uh, I was out at a local establishment that night with some friends. It was like a Friday night or a Saturday night, something like that. Mm. Uh, And one of the TVs at said local establishment had it on. Could not hear a word uh, because there was music playing in the background, but I was and they didn't have closed captioning on the television. Why? I don't know, but they didn't. Uh, It was myself and some friends and some other folks in the uh, establishment that were very interested in sports and wanted to know. And we were just waiting for that graphic to come up the for the entire like we weren't even doing anything else. We were just huddled around this this small television uh, that, you know, that was in the about five, ten feet up in the air waiting for the graphic to come up for him announcing where he was going to go. And we all thought it'd be like within the first five minutes, like, Oh, announce it. And then talk about it. No, it wasn't until like the last two minutes. Yeah. It was arguably one of the worst moments and most memorable moments. Yeah. In television, in television. And I was going to say in NBA history, NBA history. Yeah. Television too. And what I say, but it was one of the worst moments is, Looking back on it now... They advertised the shit out of it. They advertised it so much that it gave a very negative effect. Mm-hmm. Not because LeBron didn't go to the, you know, your team. Yeah. But just of how it was looked at of just being such an over-the-top production mm-hmm. that I think for the reaction it got... It was so polarizing that people didn't know exactly how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And it made LeBron an instant villain, Yeah, too. Yeah, and outside of Cleveland, because he was leaving Cleveland, and obviously the fans in Cleveland were going to hate his guts, but at the country at large, because you just wasted an hour of our time for something that you said in the last two minutes. Yeah, it was just something that it could have been summed up a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. It was brought up with so much hype because, I mean, you have to remember at that time, too, teams were getting rid of cap space to oh, sign yeah. him. Oh, yeah. That obviously, there were meetings, and it was like leading off every edition of Sports Center. And plus, it was also a very big free agency period, too, because mm-hmm. Chris Bosh was, was going to be a free agent. Dwayne Wade was going to be a free agent. Oh, yeah. The list goes on and on. Yeah. And just to see when the decision was made, and he finally said, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. Yeah, I forget who the interviewer was, but he goes, all right, LeBron, now's the moment. Where are you signing? Yeah, and for what that did for the NBA, like I say, it's looked upon as a bad moment, like I say, for that aspect just of how over the top it was just Mm -hmm. to say he was going to a team, and then the backlash that that got. Because it wasn't even like he talked about I don't even think he talked about like his potential teams. It was just, hey, let's talk about you for yeah. 50 minutes, 50, 55 minutes. And then it was pretty much, I don't even think they talked about his thought process of why he chose Miami. It was pretty much just, where are you going? 
I'm taking my talents to South Beach. And goodbye, everybody. Yeah, it was just such a weird program Mm -hmm. to watch. It could just been summed up a lot better in many different ways. Mm -hmm. And then once that got announced, it was also announced Chris Bosh was joining him in Miami. Right. And then Dwayne Wade was re-signing at Miami. So then you had the big three, which... Not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight, not nine. Yeah, the amount of hype that went into... Those three uniting in Miami mm-hmm. definitely switched the focus to the Eastern Conference, which, yeah. I mean, let's face it, the West was still a very big and strong deal to oh, the yeah. NBA, oh, and yeah. like it is now. But just to see that those players were uniting and to see how their chemistry was going to work because they'd all been all-stars in their own teams, mm-hmm. now coming together, how is this going to work? And you have to say it worked well and it did yeah. not work well yeah i mean for the amount of hype and they had that big press conference down at the right. miami stadium there yeah and like you touched upon they came out from the stage the smoke music and the, and and the, the music lights. and we're not going to win three we're not winning four we're winning five the hype was there and yeah it just instantly it had, put the biggest target on their back yeah it just had such an effect on on fans because if you didn't like Miami and you didn't like how they formed as a team, you were rooting against them the entire time. Mm-hmm. If you were a fan of LeBron as a player and, and those players as well too, you were rooting them on to see what they could do. And obviously winning two out of four yeah. wasn't a bad deal. No. But to see how it all fell apart and see the legacy of it now 10 years after, you now see teams trying to do that more often, mm-hmm. that the NBA has shifted its focus into making super teams. Yeah. I mean, we did have that with the big three in Boston too yep. with, with Garnett, Paul Pierce. Yep. And um, Ray Allen. Thank you. That you have, you know, we've seen that happen from time to time. Sure. And that, but now that's where you had Golden State emerge, where they didn't necessarily have everybody come there to form right, a team. I was going to say, they kind of did it the uh, San Antonio Spurs way. Yeah, they though they did it for the most part. But then again, when you have Kevin Durant leaving yeah. the team that just beat him yeah. to join them. I mean, yeah. that is the precedent that was set from, the, from Miami doing the big three. Because now you see players are wanting to be with another superstar to carry them through. Mm-hmm. That it's not so much as past years of basketball where you've had dominant teams. Right. And, and you could say, obviously, we just saw in the last dance about the, the run the Chicago Bulls had. Mm-hmm. You can only say that so much with Michael Jordan and just the rotating cast of characters he had. Right. Well, I shouldn't say characters. I should say players. Well, there was one character. Well, there was one character. That's why I say I always think of Dennis Rodman on that team, too, and he's just an you know, over-the-top personality. Mm-hmm. But to see the players that they had going through Chicago, but there's still more parody in the league right. at that time. Oh, yeah. To see then, once it went to Miami, it was all but penciled in that Miami was going to the finals. Every oh, year. yeah. And they did. Yeah. I mean, to, to say it didn't work, I mean, you can't say it didn't. No. But I think once they came into competition against the Western Conference, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they beat an, a young Oklahoma City team. Oh, yeah. Very, to win their young. First, Very young. To win their first title. They lost to Dallas. Yep. And they split with San Antonio. It was very interesting to see the legacy that was because it showed teams it could work, and then it yeah. showed to sustain that because once you had those three players locked and loaded for max contracts for that mm-hmm. time period too, it definitely tied you up for getting role players. Oh, it which, made it real hard for them. I remember that. Yeah, which it just showed that if they if they went cold during the series, and and at times they did for a little bit. I mean, LeBron. Oh, yeah. LeBron has been very consistent throughout his career, so you can't yeah. say he went cold. No. But when uh, you had to rely on Ray Allen to carry you through, and they had different players come in and oh, yeah. to carry the team where they needed. Whereas you look when Dallas beat them, right? They only had Dirk at that time, yeah. and then it was almost like a rotating cast of characters yeah. as well. Yeah, too. pretty much. 
I shouldn't say characters, but you know, it's just one of those teams that on paper they shouldn't have matched up with no, Miami, but no. they find a way to win. And to see what happened after, I think LeBron learned of you know how to handle leaving a team and, uh-huh. and doing better PR because oh, yeah. when he announced he was going back to Cleveland, wasn't it just like an article in Sports Illustrated? Yeah, it was a simple article and a simple tweet, I think, something like that. That yeah. I'm, I'm coming home. And for how he left the first time, I think it was definitely a growing experience for him yeah, as well. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely was because I forget where he said it, but I know he said it in an interview someplace where he he equated to leaving his home state of Ohio in Cleveland, you know, the greater Cleveland area, and going to Miami is, as almost his college experience. Where yeah. for a lot of players, they go to college and they get that experience of being away from home and this and that. LeBron, as we know, didn't get that because he came straight out of high school. Yeah. And went into the NBA. So for him, leaving the Cavaliers and going to Miami was almost his, his quasi-college experience of being away from home and learning a few things. And, and you can obviously, if you look at the body of work and the results and just everything else pre uh, when he left and then after he came back, night and day difference. Oh, it's a night and day difference. And plus, I for all the Cleveland fans that were mad he left, because, I mean, let's face it, born and raised in Ohio. For him to leave, it was a very big situation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I, and obviously, you, you can go through the history books and see about the relationships he was having with the front office at the time, too. Right. And, and how he left, it was definitely on bad terms with Dan Gilbert and, mm-hmm. and the Cleveland office. I mean, there was a very noted public statement Dan yeah. Gilbert made. Yeah, the, uh, that man will never win another championship won't win a championship before we will yeah or something like that yeah and he wanted to win in two but he came back because he felt he owed cleveland and the state of ohio something mm-hmm. and to his credit he got him it. he got him the chip all is forgiven i mean yeah god bless his soul my dad was one of the most diehard cleveland fans of all time oh, yeah. i remember absolutely broke his heart when lebron left unfortunately he didn't live to see lebron bringing the chip home but just to see how that town that city just reacted to finally be in a championship mm-hmm. city after so long of being in a drought yeah. and going through everything, all was forgiven, and it showed growth in LeBron, too. Oh, yeah. Because I think he definitely learned it. I don't think he, he was expecting the reaction he got when he left. No, I don't think so. That I think that he was made into the instant villain. Oh, my God, And yeah. he tried playing it up, but he just couldn't because no. I don't I just don't think it registered of how much of a bad look that move was. I don't think he was prepared for it because, obviously, when you know when a big player leaves a team, fans are pissed. They, mm-hmm. they like jerseys on fire. They throw them in the trash. So I think once he, once he saw that, that wasn't any big surprise. He probably figured that was going to happen. Yeah. But I remember that first game coming back to Cleveland because I don't usually watch NBA in the regular season. I'll watch a matchup now and then in the postseason. Sure. But regular season, I'm not the biggest watcher just because, eh, it is what it is. But I remember that game got flexed onto TNT broadcasting. It was supposed to be on like the local channels in their respective cities, but TNT went, now we're going to broadcast this one. And I remember just how angry and loud that crowd was. That it was arguably, to that point, the loudest I'd ever... I think it was louder than when A-Rod went into Fenway. You know, Might have been. It, was, it was very loud, and I'm like, he wasn't ready for this. No, he definitely wasn't. And like I said, that was such a turning point for the NBA because now you have players trying to get together and form super teams. Mm-hmm. And in this modern era of basketball, that was the first time we saw that. And we've seen that with Golden State. Now we've seen it with the L.A. Clippers, mm-hmm. with Kawhi and Paul George reuniting or reuniting out there. Yeah. And then you've seen James Harden and Russell uh, Westbrook yeah. reuniting in Houston. You've seen KD and Kyrie Irving mm-hmm. unite in Brooklyn. We'll see how that one goes. Yeah, we'll see how that one goes. That's another time, another place. But you see how that decision has now had ripple effects throughout the NBA. Mm-hmm. And that's always going to be remembered at a time 
where basketball, love it or hate it, the game of basketball changed for the NBA. And oh, yeah. How business handled yeah, for yeah, the yeah. NBA. So looking Absolutely. back 10 years later, I mean, LeBron did make a lot of the, the bad sting go away mm-hmm. That you know from him leaving and just how angry people were. You want to chip for Cleveland. So you mm-hmm. have to look back to say it was a success and it was a definitely a turning point for the NBA. Oh, yeah. So wild to see 10 years later, though. Wild. So to close out the bases, we got to talk a little wrestling. Yeah. So obviously we previewed last week. WWE and AEW are having a big Wednesday night battle. They're mm-hmm. running pay-per-view-esque cards. Yep. WWE had the Great American Bash. AEW had Fighter Fest. Yep. Uh, I would say this. I think night one definitely went to NXT. Okay. They, they had a great match with Sasha Banks and Io Shirai. Oh, yeah, that was nuts. Yeah, definitely had a very strong card. Uh, it was announced, though, that the main event for Fighter Fest was going to be changing uh, John Moxley, unfortunately, has been quarantined. Uh, his wife did come down uh, with a positive test for COVID, mm-hmm. so he was pulled from the card, and AEW had to kind of scramble a little bit. Yep. Uh, that fight has been moved to Fight for the Fallen, which is going to be in two weeks. Yep. And overall, though, I will say the card itself for Fighter Fest was a good card. Mm-hmm. I know it had a lot of you know, varying opinions. Sure. Uh, obviously, we, we did do a deep dive on that on 3FN. This week on the wrestling show, uh, definitely a lot of mixed uh, opinions of the card, too. I mean, anytime you're opening the card with MJF and Wardlow versus yeah. Jurassic Express, yeah, not exactly uh, the best way to start a show, in my not opinion. Not a barn burner. Well, it's it's not, and, and I've been very vocal about how I think MJF deserves a better push on mm-hmm. the card, yeah. uh, up, up the card there. Yeah. And especially you had kind of a weird ending with the Cody, Jack, Jack yeah. Hager match. Yeah. And you had the big tag team main event, which was kind of a letdown. Like, mm-hmm. it, it was it was a good match, don't get me wrong, but right. it wasn't the great match that right. we were expecting between Best Friends and Kenny Omega and Adam Page, where you flipped the channel and you had a really strong card from NXT. Mm-hmm. I mean, the four-way for the number one contender for the women's title with Tegan Knox coming out of nowhere yeah. to pull off the Holy win. Holy cow. That was a big win. Dexter Loomis, as creepy as hell as he is. Yeah. And the strap match and Roderick Strong and the big win there to, like I said, Io Shirai and Sasha Banks having a, a, a damn near perfect Oof, match. That was nuts. It's uh, it's up there for match of the year. So yeah, now yeah. NXT definitely is going in with some strong momentum. Yeah. We are now at night two, so we're going to preview what you're expecting from night two. Give us you know our our opinions on it because sure. some spoilers have been leaked out on the internet. So if yeah. you're trying to avoid getting spoiled, we will try avoiding saying them on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to try my best to. So yeah. we'll give you fair warning now. So yep. if you don't want to be spoiled, uh, just kind of proceed with caution here. Mm-hmm. But Pad, break it down. Yeah. So we're going to start off with night two for NXT. Uh, some of the match the uh, the matches in no particular order here. Uh, you've got uh, the six man tag team matchup between Drake Maverick and Breezango. Uh, taking on, and I didn't know this team, this faction had a name, but apparently they do. Uh, Legado del Fantasma. That is the team of Santos Escobar, Joaquin Wilde, and Raul Mendoza. Yeah, they just formed <laughs> up on um, uh, last week. Mm. I, I think it was. It was a. Uh, I was watching AEW at the time. But uh, I, remember, okay. I remember Rich was texting me from three three FN. Right. So yeah, this one is is a brand new faction. I think they do get the win, mm, in my opinion. Probably. Like, it just kind of sets up, but I, I like how they're slowly building Drake Maverick's story yeah. up there since he re-signed, so yep. you know, kudos to that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, no, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, the faction, including uh, the NXT Cruiserweight champion, uh, El Hio del Fantasma. Uh, I think it's just, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of this storyline, but, like, I get it. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I can, see where the, I can see where this is going. So I think they're going to continue that with uh, 
Legato del Fantasma uh, winning that matchup. Uh, after that, you've got a street fight between Mia Yim and Candice LeRae. Can't go wrong with this one. Absolutely not. Uh, this one could be a sleeper match on the night. Uh, Going to go with Candice, though. I think they're slowly setting up for her versus Io down the road. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's going to. Yeah. And then uh, according to the article I'm reading, one of the uh, other matchups on the card is the winner takes all match between Adam Cole, the NXT champion, and Keith Lee, the North American champion. This is your main event period. I don't care on both shows. Uh-huh. This is dynamite this is box office this is this is gonna what be, you want to see this is gonna be nuts this is gonna be a spot fest there's gonna be chicanery galore adam cole longest reigning nxt world champion over 400 days yep keith lee fast rising star through nxt i mean ever since survivor series last year oh, we yeah. had his breakout moments oh yeah and he has just been rising up the rankings right now he mm-hmm. is arguably the biggest uh face in NXT. Oh, you know, yeah. Faces versus heels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely one of the well-known wrestlers on that card. Uh, I think it's his time. I think yeah. he's long overdue. He's going to be North America. He's currently North American champion. Yep. I think he, he comes home with the title. Oh, I, I think so, too. Just you look at the body of work and just how much he's getting featured in programming and what, what happened at Survivor Series last year. This man has got like an old fashioned, uh, you know, Aries rocket strapped to the back of him, like the ones they used to get to the moon in the 60s. Mm-hmm. He's just got a rocket strapped to his back. He's, he's, he's going to be a multi time champion by the time his career is said and done. Yeah. I, I think he's got a very bright future. Yeah. He's had breakout moments, I mean, throughout the year. I mean, Royal Rumble was another yeah. one, too. Oh, so. yeah. So definitely the future is very bright for Keith Lee. I think he pulls home the win. I cannot wait to see this one. No, it's going to be amazing. Uh, Flipping over to AEW Fighter Fest Night 2. Again, no particular order. Uh, You've got uh, for the AEW World Tag Team Championship, uh, you've got Kenny Omega and Adam Page defending their belt against Private Party. This is the replacement for Moxley, Brian Cage. Okay. So I I understand they're they're trying to make something happen Mm -hmm. very quickly, but... I'm sorry. I just I don't see Private Party getting the win. I lo- I'd love to see him get the yeah, win here, but yeah. I just don't see him getting the, yeah, getting like, the W. Like we know, like everyone knows, uh, I'm not the biggest AEW uh, fan. I don't watch all their programming, but I am a, I do follow them on social media. I am aware of what they're doing, uh, and I don't see Private Party getting featured all that much. So something tells me they're not going to win that matchup there. Uh, yeah. Just going based off of social media stuff alone. They're like, all right, if somebody starts getting featured a little bit more, that might eh, might be tipping off. You're about to put a belt on them or something. Yeah, yeah like I understand they're they're trying to make something happen, but uh-huh. unless you follow all their YouTube channels, AEW storylines are so confusing. Yeah, like that's it, one of my criticisms. Yeah. Oh, you're not the only one. Trust yeah. me. Trust me. Yeah. Uh, after that, you have another tag team matchup. This time, an eight man tag team matchup between FTR, that being Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood, uh, formerly known as the Revival in WWE. And the Young Bucks taking on Butcher and the Blade and the Lucha Bros. Uh, this one, I don't care who wins. This one is going to be a spot fest and it's going to be absolutely bonkers. And I think this one eventually is going to set up a feud between at least two of these factions. Yeah, this is just going to be a, a, a pure independent wrestling match. Uh-huh. You're going to see more crazy spots hit in this match than you can even fathom right I'll say, now. So if you like spot fests, this is your, this is your matchup. Yeah. If, if you don't, Switch to NXT. Yeah, if you like storytelling, you're going to turn the channel off on this one. I Honestly, I could see the Young Bucks and FTR winning mm-hmm. and then something happened after the match because yeah. that's going to be the ultimate match. I mean, that's a matchup everyone's like, waiting yeah, for. And what, if they decide to do all out, yeah. that's your main event. Yeah, I'm already going to tell you right now, that's yeah. going to be your main event. So 
I, I fully expect them to win, so mm. we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, the team of Butcher and the Blade and then Lucha Bros wins, but, okay. but not because of them getting like a straight-up like pin of one of the other guys. I think there's going to be some so- sort of you know uh, underhandedness going on that like FTR might go to help out the Young Bucks and end up you know causing them the match or something like and that. Might set up something down the road because let's face it, that's kind of the worst kept secret that that matchup is coming. Yeah, no, that's I fully agree with you there. Yeah. Uh, after that, you have another tag team matchup in the uh, this time a six man tag team matchup between Colt Cabana and the Dark Order uh, in Brody Lee and Stu Grayson versus SoCal Uncensored. That being Christopher Daniels, uh, Frankie Kazarian, and then. Scorpio Sky. They have been really trying to push this Colt Cabana joining the Dark Order angle. So I mean, listen, it don't matter. SCU has the, currently the best T-shirt in professional wrestling. Yeah, they do. If you so, haven't seen it, go to AEW's uh, shop website and look it up. It's amazing. Yeah. So uh, I'm taking Colton and the Dark Order on this one. Yeah. No, I, I think as much as I love SCU and you know this is the worst city we've ever been in. You know, again. Outside of maybe being featured in their YouTube channel stuff because, hey, they're friends with them. Don't see them getting the win here because they're not featured all that much. Yeah, I agree. Uh, after that, you have Nyla Rose in versus uh, TBA. Unknown who it's going to be. So maybe a surprise entrance. Who could, knows? Could be Tessa Blanchard. Could, could be. be. It could be anybody. Yeah, like, I, yeah who like, knows? With the TBA, you never know. So yeah. Also the stipulation, TBA. Yeah. All right. Then if it's stipulation, who knows? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm just not going to make a pick on that one. Yeah, no, neither am I. Hard to, hard to pick when you don't know who they're facing. Yeah. Uh, after that, in a singles matchup, you have Lance Archer taking on Joey Janela. Uh, it's going to be a squash fest uh-huh. for Archer. So I, I don't get the love affair with it. I just don't. So. Double, double count out. Nobody wins. Uh, let's hope so. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, probably the most anticipated matchup until FTR goes up against Young Bucks, Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. If AEW is smart, you put over Orange Cassidy. Yeah, I was like, Jericho certainly doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. Orange Cassidy is arguably your biggest face on your roster. Arguably the most over face in all of wrestling. It's debatable. So why is he not getting pushed through the moon? I don't know. Uh, So this one, if they don't let him get the win... Like he needs a very strong showing, mm-hmm. but if you know his character, he's the king man. of sloth. Style. Yeah, he's he's the man that gets by by doing absolutely nothing. So, uh, that being said, he's got to win. Yeah, he's got to win. Otherwise, it's why like yeah. Jer- Jericho doesn't need the win. So no. why are we wasting time? Who knows? I don't know. We're gonna find out this coming Wednesday night. So definitely jump on the social media. Hit us up at OD Parlay Hour. I'm gonna be live tweeting probably AEW because Rich from Three FN usually takes. NXT, so check him out over at, at Three Fat Nerds Pod, and uh, we'll be going back and forth live tweeting. Like I say, I just I usually keep it on AEW because we're splitting up, but I'll definitely be going back and forth on the shows because I'll be watching the other one the Thursday. So it should be a fun night. I do like NXT's card though. I like that one a little stronger. I think. Oh that, yeah, no, it, it's gonna be awesome. And I'm sorry, Adam Cole versus Keith Lee. So it, it that could be a match of the year candidate. Uh, it's got potential. It, it's got potential. It's probably going to live up to the hype. So I'm fully, fully excited to see that. Mm-hmm. So definitely check it out. AEW's Fighter Fest will be on TNT Network Wednesday night, Eastern Standard Time, 8 p.m. And on the USA Network, it's going to be the NXT's Great American Bash night two, also 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yeah. So that being said, before I do the whole outro spiel that I usually give each and every week, we are in the midst of the Apocalypse Pod Raid. 
So one of our groups that we're in, shout out to everybody that's in the Apocalypse. We are now starting to do the pod raids where we go, we check out a new show, we leave some reviews. We definitely want you to be familiar with the show. And in the liner notes for this podcast episode, we have links for Capes on the Couch where comics get counseling. It's a very cool podcast. I definitely recommend checking it out if you're into comics. I know we're talking sports here, but it definitely has something to offer. So definitely head on over and check it out. It's in the show liner notes. Drop a review. Drop a rating on Podchaser. Definitely let you let them know what you think of the show. I, I personally dig it, so we definitely want to be plugging that. And we're going to be plugging the Podolips pod raids during the sports show as we're going because it's on every Tuesday as we record. So stay tuned for that. So that being said, Pad, the music you heard at the beginning of the show is that of Fair City Fire. They're our friends from Austin, Texas. They're doing a lot of big things down there. And Brian Wolf is still coming out with his Friday music on Instagram. Okay. He doesn't have, like, I don't I don't think he has an official name for it, but we do share it on our Twitter and on our Instagram because it's always hashtag Fair City Friday on a Friday. So if you want to find out about what's going on with them, you want to find out what's going on with Shout at the Robots, Floodlands, Walking Distance, Second Suitor, Tom Jolu, Yard Party, the list goes on and on and on. Simple. Head on over to ochodoropalear.com and check out the music section. You can also head on over to the ODPH directory where you can check out what's going on with Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming. Still doing the Final Fantasy VII remake. All right. And he still is apologizing for Ratchet and Clank, Pat. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, I figured he's still, he's still putting uh-huh. that out there. I know it's falling on deaf ears with you. Yep. I know there's a lot of anger there. So, Tom, you got to step that game up. you got to work on that apology for him. Yep. Also, on the ODPH directory, you can check out what's going on with Excite Wrestling. And Johnny Moose is always kind of posting something a little cryptic, so you never know what's going on there. And you can also check out all the amazing pod groups that we are in. So shout out to Pod Nation. Shout out to Alternate Reality Radio. Shout out to the Legion Independent Podcast. Shout out to Hashtag 607 Podcast. And, of course, shout out to the Apodalypse Ah, it's a, it's a tongue twister, if you will. But the Apocalypse is also doing their pod raids, as we mentioned, so definitely check it out. You can find all the links for our pod chaser list that we're on on the ODPH directory, as well as organizational links for Black Lives Matter and voter registration. So all of that you can check out with the Parlay Points blogs, too, going on, which is a complimentary piece to the ODPH. All of that and more on OchoDuroParlayHour.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Uh, Coach Duffy, not here because he's out trying to get John Calipari's autograph. <laughs> I'm your host, Ken. Um, thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.